a Podcast One production. Your Morning Agenda, Summer Edition. Hello, Natasha Belling here. Thanks for your company this New Year's Day, Friday, the 1st of January, 2021. Happy New Year's. As many of you are enjoying a well-deserved break, we are looking at the top news stories that have set the agenda in 2020 and will still be making news this year. We'll be back with all the breaking news from Monday, the 11th of January. But until then, enjoy your morning agenda's summer edition. As we start the new year, compared to the horrors still unfolding overseas, Australia has done incredibly well in handling the COVID crisis and our economy has recovered much better than expected. On reflection, it's important to note how far we have come. On the back of the devastating drought and bushfires at the start of 2020, we were faced with a new disaster, a once in a century pandemic sweeping the world. It was a sobering Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, who announced in March last year he was shutting the country down. I said in the Parliament that 2020 for most Australians was going to be their toughest year. And what we have seen unfold just this week has been demonstrating just that. Australians who have lost their jobs, lost hours of work, businesses that have been forced to close their businesses... These are heartbreaking events in our nation's history and story. It was a very tough year for many and despite dire predictions and shutdowns, the tide turned in 2020 and the Australian economy bounced back better than expected. But is the positive news set to continue? Today we chat with Scott Phillips, Chief Investment Officer from The Motley Fool, to get his expert advice on the economic outlook for 2021. Scott, what a year. I guess no one could have predicted, all the best experts in the world couldn't have predicted what has unfolded in 2020. G'day, Tarsh. It is a, it is one for the ages, is it not? I mean, that's almost an understatement. I don't know how you find enough superlatives or enough descriptors to describe what has been just the most bizarre year. I can remember, I'm sure most of us can remember, I mean, I guess a once-in-a-century pandemic has to give us that perspective, but the highs and the lows of 2020 i got to say, too, if you told me on January 1, we're going to go through a pandemic, the market was going to fall 35 40%, health issues, economic issues, and yet we'd finish 2020 in, frankly, a relatively good position, you would have got really, really long odds on where we sit now as we enter, or sorry, in 2020, enter 2021, in a way that really sets us up for, I mean, I, I, again, I, I don't think you could have asked for a better set of numbers. Now, bad numbers, worse than last year, absolutely. But gee, I tell you what, for, for everything we've been through, we are in a remarkably good position as we as we start the new year. We are certainly leading the world in smashing the COVID-19 mm. curve, but also economically. We'll get to that in a minute, Scott, but if we can just go back to the beginning of the year. <laughs> we yes. came out of that horrific drought, once in a century drought, the awfully mm. devastating bushfires. And, you know... The Prime Minister and Treasurer were being very candid on the fact that economically we were facing the most challenging financial conditions since the Great Depression. I think that's exactly right. I think 
that was a very, very reasonable approach. And I've got to say, you know, I, don't, I try to avoid politics generally speaking, but the policy responses from the government and supported by the opposition have been sensational. We absolutely were, as you say, facing conditions of the like. We really, in living memory, had hardly been faced. The Great Depression was the last time. I mean, we, we effectively stopped the economy dead. The, the, you know, not exactly, but but the, the, the fall in GDP was just phenomenally large. As you say, already on the back of a weakened economy, on the back of bushfires. And frankly, there were concerns as we entered the new year of is the economy going into recession even by itself such were the the kind of concerns about how we were placed and then to go into this covid crisis with the voluntary or, or mandatory but you know voluntary from a government perspective shutting down of much of the economy we created those very con conditions that we had to deal with because it was the right thing to do health-wise and i fully support that the great thing i think that, that was part of it was the government response and frankly the the consumer and business response to basically go along with to recognize the bigger issues the bigger need and to pretty much you know pull our horns in and say yep we'll do what we need to do but that government response was the thing that has kept us out of the worst parts of what might have otherwise been forecast both health-wise and economically as well. The predictions were frightening, Scott, at the beginning of yeah. the year, especially with unemployment rates. Uh, there were predictions that the real estate market was going to crash up to 20%. Yeah. How much do you think the government's support has propped up the economy? Because they were talking about the September cliff. Now there's mm -hmm. serious concerns about the March cliff with the financial support with JobKeeper and JobSeeker. Do you mm. think that may still happen in March? So to your first question first, the, the JobKeeper, JobSeeker and the general support from the government has been absolutely the difference. Let, let's, not, let's not, you know, draw too fine a line on this one. The fact that we were confident enough to believe that businesses would still get money, employees would still get money, the banks effectively putting aside foreclosures, allowing people to defer loans, the policy response has been sensational. I think with the, if there was a good thing about the GFC going back a decade was we kind of learnt that Pulling, you know, pulling back on stimulus to try and save the budget was exactly the wrong thing to do. We saw plenty of countries try that, particularly in Europe, and they just spent a decade after that trying to desperately dig themselves out of a hole. Compared to the US, basically put you know all all hands to the wheel and said, right, let's go and put the money in, let's spend the stimulus, let's keep things afloat. So the good news was they did exactly what needed to be done. And and to, to their credit, again, I mean, Josh Frydenberg said that he you know, spoke to John Howard, who said there is no ideology in a crisis or words to that effect. And I really like the fact they said, you know what, this is a government that generally speaking is all about budget surpluses and, and tight fiscal economic management, small government. They threw all that out of the window and said, this is not the time for that. And that was fantastic. So the second part of your question, I think the... September cliff was always going to be a risk. I think the government has to has to do a, a pretty clever dance here. The first is they've got to tell people, look, this might go away. In other words, you guys need to be responsible for getting yourselves back on your feet. That that needs to be happening. If you don't, if you don't believe it's ever going to go away, then you don't bother making any effort because why would you? The, the tap's always going to be on. So you have to threaten with the, the tap being turned off. The government again did the smart thing in September and said, look, this is not the time to pull it away. We will cause ourselves more pain. And frankly, can you imagine having gone through all of that stuff in March, April, May, June, July, spending $100 billion and then plunging into recession because of some bloody-minded decision to say, well, we set a date and that's all there is. So the good news is they extended it to March. I think we'll see, look, the first thing is half a million businesses have come off JobKeeper recently, have got back to normal, have been able to say, the government said, look, you know, you're, back, you're good, you're back on your feet, you don't need the money. So it's working. I I don't think it'll be a cliff in March. It would be if the government lets it, and it would be if business doesn't improve. But my guess is by then, we'll have a whole lot more business improvement. And then I think the government will find a way to make sure they don't pull the rug out from the recovery. Um, frankly, electorally, if nothing else, they need to be doing the right thing for the economy. So I think 
when we get there, if if it's you know if the economy is still weak and if the government pulls it away, it's absolutely a cliff. They have to talk tough now. I just don't think anyone's silly enough to say, no matter what the economy is like at that point, we're pulling it out regardless, and you're all on your own. So, look, I'm not worried about it unless they decide to be bloody-minded about it, in which case we've got bigger problems. Scott, we're all keeping a very, very close eye on the escalating trade tensions with China because Mm. it is such an extraordinarily important export market. Billions and billions of dollars depend on the export market to China, especially with iron ore and coal. The trade tensions are increasing. How critical is what happens with China? How critical is that to our economic recovery? It is huge, Tosh. I'm an optimist, generally speaking, and frankly, I think most of the data we've had the last you know, couple of months, few months, has been universally positive. Everything we've seen, uh, job numbers, unemployment numbers, consumer spending and confidence, business spending and confidence, everything is looking good and improving. Not, not back to 2019 levels, as I said, but literally, you know, the recovery is well and truly underway. The risk here is that China, if China stopped imports from Australia or stopped our exports to them, it had cost up to 7% of GDP based on some numbers I've seen recently from the Australian Strategic Policy Institute. Now, if you believe that's true, the size of that going away is effectively another COVID. You know, the GDP fall we saw in the first or the second quarter of the, the calendar year when the, the real recession struck and struck hard, that was about the same size of a fall. We got out of that because we kind of kick-started the economy back into shape. In this case, if we can't find a way to deal with China, that is the really significant risk. And I don't want to be a doom monger, it's not my thing, but I, that, that really does concern me. We've got to be able to find a way. Someone somewhere <laughs> has to be able to find a way through this one too. You know, yes, China's being a bully. I, I, I'm not defending their actions at all. The problem is if we don't do anything other than kind of continue this this chest-beating rhetoric and, and China does the same, there was just, you know, it's not exactly economic ruin, but it's going to be a very, very tough time for us, the Australian economy if those things go away. People believe the iron ore story is safe. I think it probably is for a little bit. But if China really wants to hurt us, they will endure pain to hurt us. They've, they've shown they're prepared to do that. And so I don't think we should consider iron ore safe either. And that would be the real hammer blow. So I'm, you know, I've given the government plenty of plaudits on, on the COVID response. I think then much, much more needs to be done when it comes to the China story. We've got to find a way to lower the temperature there and, and find some way to, to move forward on this one rather than just letting things get worse and worse and worse. If it spirals out of control, it really will hurt us in 2021. We saw the infectious diseases expert uh, from the US, Dr Anthony Fauci, praise Australia, basically saying we are leading the world in how to handle uh, the COVID crisis, both on a medical front and also financially, that the long-term benefits of our shutdown have worked in smashing the curve, uh, both with infection rates, but also long-term benefits for the economy. As we know, the economy is all about consumer confidence. What happens if we have another COVID outbreak in Australia and a possible shutdown? Oh, well, I mean, perish the thought, but that's a, it's a really good question. It's the right question to ask. I think the, you know, what we, Australians are pretty positive generally. I don't want to get too jingoistic, but we're generally pretty positive. We're generally happy to kind of do what needs to be done to kind of rally together and get through something. And that was what happened the first time around. And I think it was, as I said, supported by the fact that we knew government was doing something. We didn't know if it was enough at the time, but doing something. We're all pulling together to get it done. I think we we're kind of prepared to just, just you know, buckle down and deal with it. Mostly Victorians, of course, who had to go through with their own second wave. The, the real concern, I think, is that the optimism of, and once we get through this, we'll be right, was part of the story. If we do go into a second wave lockdown nationally, if we do have more economic issues or just, just as you say, consumer confidence issues, that's a, real, that's a real risk because not only does it dent confidence up front, 
But the optimism of the recovery also gets dented. The fact that this time around, we went, yep, now we're back to recovery. Great. We're all okay. We don't go and spend our money. We can go back into public. Everything's okay. That, that, that optimism, justified or not, is kind of what is dro- drove a lot of the, the speed and pace of the, the nascent recovery we're going through right now. If that is challenging by a second lockdown, that's my real concern. The fact that it might be, okay, well, this time around, we're not going to start spending again. This time around, we're not going to start hiring again if it's businesses. You know, this time around, we've got to be careful because, gee, there could be a third wave or a fourth wave. And that, that's the real concern, I think, once it becomes a sense of we've got to permanently worry about what we're spending, what we're doing. The sheer economic kind of growth story, the recovery story, people going and spending again, if that gets put on ice or slowed down, that makes the second lot of recovery much slower, much more tepid, and, and frankly means it'll take longer if it's come through. So that would be the worst of all cases. I, I desperately hope, again, I'm no public policy expert, but economically speaking, the restrictions on border controls are unfortunate and, and terrible for some people, but exactly the right thing to do to really make sure we don't you know, put ourselves back. As I said before, if we spend $100 billion and, and go into generational debt and then have a second wave because we go back to business too quickly, um, that would just be, you know, it's about throwing good money after bad. It would be a terrible, terrible waste of the, the physical health and, and economic pain we've gone through to then throw it away in the 2021. So if it happens, I, I do worry about the, the next set of recovery kind of stats, but hopefully we'll do the right thing. Yeah, fingers crossed. Now, Scott, there's been lots of silver linings, especially for Australia during this crisis. There's mm. predictions now, as I mentioned earlier, that uh, the real estate market was going to crash. You know, we, prices would have dropped by 30%. That mm. hasn't happened. And now the latest predictions say the real estate market could jump by 10 to 15% next year. Where do you see the best places to invest right now and how do you think the share market looks for 2021? Oh, wow, the, the $64 question. If I knew the answer to that, I'd be on the, in the Bahamas somewhere in the yeah. Caymans. Look, I, I, I wish I knew the answer. Here, look, I think the, the house price predictions were always overdone. Um, I said so at the time. I've been public on that. I think the pe- people who, who make the predictions forget that governments do things. We just I mean, We've spent a lot of time talking about job seeker, other government programs. Absent those things, the house price predictions would have been right, but a lot of those forecasters tend to forget the governments do stuff. RBA does stuff to make sure we don't have these sort of outcomes. And so, you know, when you see those big falls predicted, generally speaking, you're much better off to ignore them or, you know, they'll happen eventually once in a, once in a century, maybe once, mm. <laughs> once in every couple of hundred years, but they're just super unlikely because the circumstances and the government responses tend to be enough to avoid them. Moving forward though, as you say, that the, the confidence is back and to some degree in house prices, the 2021 house price growth will be largely a function of the fact that they fell a bit during 2020. So you get the back to normal trade, if you like, and then you get the low interest rate trade. Your rates are now lower than they have been. Um, APRA, the, the bank regulator, has lifted restrictions on both dividends for bank shareholders, but also how much banks can, can lend out. So this is, this is a back to normal trade to some degree. And that confidence we talked about is really going into things like house prices. There's also going to consumer spending, by the way, and a whole lot of other places. So we should consider there's a, a reasonable likelihood of continued asset price growth. Now, as to whether that's reasonable, given some of the house prices in our capital cities is an open question. And I don't know that we should love the fact that houses keep getting more and more expensive from an affordability perspective, but that's where we find ourselves. So I wouldn't be at all surprised to see house prices end 2021 at a meaningfully higher level than they started the year. That's that's probably the most likely scenario, absent as we've just talked about, any sort of you know China or COVID disruptions to the economy. That's probably the most likely outcome. Shares, I think, and again, no one knows, and, and sentiment and confidence drives. I mean, frankly, if we were having this conversation 12 months ago, I wouldn't have predicted COVID or anything else, right? So that's the that, that highlights the folly of this. I think the, the good news for, for share prices is while the economy and the share market don't track side by side, 
grow, growing economic activity, increasing economic activity is almost always good for the stock market because it grows company revenues and therefore company profits. So it's hard to be a pessimist on share prices when you see a, an improving economy and, and frankly, again, lower interest rates. I mean, that, that's that's an investor's dream is, you know, growing a growing market and, and you know, and a lower cost of borrowing. So that's that's a good sign, I think, for asset prices across the board. Um, the RBA is unlikely to put rates up anytime soon. They've said three years. I think it might be before that, but it's certainly not going to be next year or this year in any, in any meaningful way. 2021, I think we're pretty much locked in for low rates. So there's no reason for anything to scare the horses again absent those potential risks we've just talked about so i'm pretty i'm pretty optimistic i i, I you know again i don't want to i don't want to put numbers on on forecasts i think that's a bit of a, a silly thing to try and do plenty of people do it's the old quote that pundits forecast not because they know but because they're asked so i'll try not to do that um despite the fact you asked the question you asked it very nicely i, I do think though it's a it's a it, yeah there's every reason to believe that asset prices continue to go up because the economy recovers and grows and that fundamentally underpins all of those types of things you made a great point before, Scott, on the fact of skyrocketing uh, real estate prices across many of the capital cities across Australia. Mm-hmm. If we do see the supply and demand situation change and we do see prices uh, skyrocket out of control, is there a possibility that they may increase rates? I think, I mean, it, it's unlikely because the RBA only has one lever at its control. You know, I, I liken the RBA to flying a, a biplane while the government flies a jumbo or, or a fighter jet. You think about it. You think about it. F eighteen, uh, you know, fighter pilot with dials and switches and heads up displays and computer screens. And the poor old RBA has got one one joystick. Either pushes it forward, holds it steady, or pulls it back. And so, to some degree, the RBA knows well that it, you know its 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 effect is super blunt. And and I, I'm absolutely sure they've said as much that they are worried about house price inflation when they lower rates, but they feel like they have no choice because the rest of the economy needs the stimulus. And so you're kind of in that scenario where, you know, the RBA acting on rates alone. If they were to increase rates, they will at some point. Um, to, to hold house prices down will impact things like consumer confidence, borrowing rates for businesses, and so you kind of you, you've got this one you know really really blunt tool. They use reasonably effectively, by the way, but it's tough to do. I think that if they're worried about house prices, the more uh, sensible, hopefully, approach they'll take is something they did not too many years ago now, where they introduced those lending caps on investment loans, for example, or they they li- listed limited sorry how much people could borrow in certain circumstances, certain suburbs, or, or certain um, deposit rates, that kind of stuff. I think the, a nuanced approach is hopefully more useful. That probably comes through the banking regulator, APRA, and they'll, they'll talk to the RBA and do it together. Um, I mean, again, the RBA could raise rates to try and hold asset prices down, but hopefully between government and the two regulators, there's a more nuanced way to do it so you can you know, avoid robbing Peter to pay Paul. You can actually do both things at the same time, keep the economy moving forward at the same time as you limit asset price inflation, potentially speculation, that kind of stuff, just to keep the economy in some sort of balance. And Scott, talking about interest rates, it's great news low rates for people trying to pay off their home loan, but for many uh, more mature Australians, self-funded retirees, it's very tough because they can't live mm. off that interest. Totally, and that's that's exactly the the problem with the blunt tool, right? That that's exactly the flip side of of the conversation we're just having. It trying to get any interest in the bank at all, it, you know, at call zero, term deposits tiny. Um, it, it's incredibly tough. Now, to some degree, that's kind of what the central bankers want right around the world, right? They want people to move what they say up the risk curve, which is a horrible jargon, but the idea basically that they want people to go and invest in other riskier assets, which if you're a self-funded retiree saying, hang on, guys, you know, <laughs> this is not the time for risk. This is the time for, you know, making sure I can, I can fund my lifestyle through the rest of my life. And so, as you say, that that's the real challenge. Now, I do think, by the way, look, I'm a shares guy, so let me put that on the, on, on the board up front, but I do think you can invest in shares 
relatively safely over the long term, as long as you have a stomach for volatility and as long as you have that long-term perspective, I think there's ways to do it. But there's a whole lot of people who are saying, look, I hear you, but I, I don't want to. I don't want to have to. Unfortunately, again, because the RBA has got a single blunt tool, I, I kind of feel like it doesn't have much choice. I think, you know, given my druthers, and if I was if I was in charge of the Treasury and the Reserve Bank and a whole lot of other things at the same time, if you made me president for a week, um, i change a whole lot of settings. I think higher rates makes more sense, but then giving back some money or making things a bit easier in other areas makes more sense across the board. As you say, house prices, retirees, um, you know, even young people trying to save a deposit and, and earn some interest on that while they're trying to save for housing. It, it does feel like the settings are kind of out of whack and leading to some pretty perverse outcomes. Now, in, in defense of those regulators, what else do you do? You're, you're in a situation where you've got to try and you know, deal with what you can and, and you're dealing with the most pressing problems first and hoping you don't cause too many more down the track. So I don't envy them. Um, but yeah, it, it's very, very tough for people who are trying to to borrow, sorry, sorry to save, trying to build a deposit or fund their lifestyle, you're going to have to go into other things like property, like shares, to try and get that extra return you used to be able to get from cash. Scott, thanks so much for joining us for your wonderful words of advice and insight on what has been an interesting year. Thank you. You're very kind. Thanks, Tash. And don't forget your morning agenda with the latest news headlines is back from Monday the 11th of January. Tomorrow, we'll be back with another episode in the summer series where we'll have expert analysis on the COVID-19 vaccine. It is certainly what the world has been waiting for, but is it really the silver bullet? We'll chat more about what the vaccine means for Australia. Does it really stop transmission of the virus? Can your boss force you to get the jab? And will it finally give international travel the green light this year? I'm Natasha Belly. Thanks so much for your company. Have a great day and we look forward to seeing you tomorrow.